Welcome, foolish readers, to a spooky edition of Shit We've Read, brought to you by the Creeps at Bilo Network. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Shit We've Read, a sci-fi and fantasy book podcast hosted by some spooky friends. Um, spooky season is upon us, so on this episode, we will be talking about the second death of Edie and Violet Bond by Amanda Glaze. But I can't do that alone, so let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, I have Laura Benson. Hey, Laura, how's it going? Going pretty well. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this book. I'm excited to talk about it with you as well. Um, unfortunately, we don't have Bella with us because they are off celebrating their one-year wedding anniversary Ugh. in uh, Washington. How uh, dare they? Boo for them. How dare they choose that over this podcast? <laughs> um, but that's okay because in their place, we have someone just as good. Uh, <laughs> her name is Erin Harris. <laughs> she's, uh, she's my coworker and a fellow book lover. Uh, but for the purposes of this book, she's also a volunteer and tour guide at the Sacramento History Museum. Hey, Erin, how's it going? Good. I'm excited to be here. Why don't you tell us and everybody listening a little bit about yourself? What is there to say? Well, I obviously work with you, Rico. Sure. But Thanks for remembering that. The people may not know that. Yeah, I do remember that. And I've been with the Sacramento History Museum for about a year now. So... I got in as a volunteer and kind of just got, I guess, bullied into becoming a tour guide. <laughs> and, you know, as someone who had newly moved to Sacramento, I didn't know a lot about Sacramento history. And I feel like I've kind of been pelted with information over the past year. So that's been really fun. And we do a lot of different things. So it's kind of fun to have, you know, people around you who are nerdy and don't shame you for being the same. Yeah, I get yeah. that. That's me. Uh, well, again, yeah, I'm glad to have you aboard this episode. Happy to be here. You're the new kid on the block, so as tradition around here, the first thing we talk about is some of the other shit we're reading. Okay. So I'll give you a second to think about that. But Laura, what is some of the other things that you're reading recently? Um, Right now, <laughs> so if anybody listened to the last episode, I had mentioned how I was reading all of Christopher Paolini's Aragon books. Uh, unfortunately, I could not stick with it. <laughs> I <laughs> read one of I read one of four, and I was like, "Oh, these are so long!" And instead, I switched to uh, "Fractal Noise," which is also by Christopher Paolini. So at least I I stuck with the author. <laughs> All right, half credit. <laughs> um, and that's uh, for anybody interested. That is the the uh, prequel to his other book to sleep in a sea of stars so um, this one is total 100 sci-fi um, i loved to sleep in a sea of stars so i was excited to pick up fractal noise um i'm about halfway done so far uh i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't what it is <laughs> okay so I like it, but there's things about it I don't like, and I'm just hoping that by the end things will resolve and I will be like, yes, I loved it. Um, but I will say, and it's so funny because I always think of Emma when I when I think of Paulini's books. Sure. Yeah. The man loves to talk about traveling. The man <laughs> loves travel, and he'll tell you every detail about that journey. 
<laughs> and that is still the case in this book. <laughs> okay, this book though is significantly shorter than the previous one, correct? Yes. Okay, it so is that's way thank, shorter. Okay, thank God, because yeah, <laughs> last one was like six hundred pages of traveling, which is yes, a long, and that time. that's like every Aragon book too. So <laughs> I'll get through the Aragon books eventually. They are. I good. believe in you. I believe it's, you. For it's sure. just it was a lot for me to to commit to when I take so long to finish a book. So that's fair. I get it. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, Aaron, what are you reading right now? Well, I am a procrastinator. And so I took this deadline as a point to finish the book that we're supposed to read today, like 30 minutes ago. Oh yeah. So what I'm going to read next is <laughs> wayward by Emily Hart and Halloween party by Agatha Christie. One, because I prefer to read books written by women. And two, because it's almost Halloween. And obviously, Makes sense. those are my only choices. So, yeah. Wayward by Emily Hart is about an intergenerational story of witches and kind of discovering self. And I think Halloween Party is on your list, too. So, it is, you can probably yeah. explain that a little better. Uh, yes, Halloween Party is on my list right now. I'm currently reading it. I don't know. I forgot that I'm reading it right this second. Uh, the reason I am reading it is because uh, it is the inspiration behind the new movie that just came out this last weekend, uh, which is A Haunting in Venice. It is the, the third and the most recent uh, Hercule Poirot uh, film adaptations. Uh, mm. The trailer looks really good. I'm really excited about this film. I like the previous two. They did... Um, Murder on the Orient Express and then Death on the Nile and I thought they were both really fun they both have really big like star-sided cast this is no exception uh, but I'm one of those book nerds that has to read the book first uh, which is the correct way of doing it Laura I... <laughs> I'm sorry sometimes it's easier to get through but I like knowing what to expect too I yeah. kind of prefer watching the movie first it helps me finish. Okay. <laughs> they each their own. Anyhow, so that's what I'm reading. Nice. Uh, the book that we are talking about this episode, as I mentioned earlier, is The Second Death of Edie and Violet Bond by Amanda Glaze. It is a young adult historical fantasy. I think that'd be accurate to say in yeah. the objections. No, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. It was first published uh, October 4th, 2022. And uh, Aaron... I'm going to bully you, if you don't mind. Uh, would you like to read the synopsis for us? Yeah, of course. Sacramento, 1885. Edie and Violet Bond know the truth about death. The 17-year-old twins are powerful mediums, just like their mother. Violet can open the veil between life and death, and Edie can cross into the spirit world. But their abilities couldn't save them when their mother died and their father threatened to commit them to a notorious asylum. Now runaways, Edie and Violet are part of a traveling spiritualist show, a tight-knit group of young women who demonstrate their real talents under the guise of communing with spirits. Each night, actresses, poets, musicians, and orators all make contact with spirits who happen to have something to say, notions that young ladies could never openly express. But when Violet's act goes terribly wrong one night, Edie learns that the dark spirit responsible for their mother's death has crossed into the land of the living. As they investigate the identity of her mysterious final client, they realize that someone is haunting mediums, and they may be next. Only by trusting in one another can the twins uncover a killer who will stop at nothing to cheat death. 
Thanks, Aaron. You're welcome. All right, so there should be a very obvious reason why we chose this book. It's the very first word that Aaron said in the synopsis, and it's Sacramento. That is where this podcast is based. Mm-hmm. And so yep. when we came across it, we were like, we got to represent Sacktown. Um, and Absolutely. it happens to be, you know, fantasy and uh, paranormal falls into our wheelhouse anyway. So uh, before we get into anything spoilery, any details, I want to get your first impressions. Erin, would you like to give us your first impressions? Sure. Um, well, let's see. I didn't realize... That I saw the YA sticker when I got this book at Barnes & Noble, but I didn't realize just how YA it would be at points. <laughs> Cheesy. Cheesy beyond repair. <laughs> at other points, it had me questioning myself and my knowledge of Sacramento. Only to discover that I was, in fact, right the whole time. (laughs) Um, Oh, man. As you may, you know, this book is part fact, part fiction. So it was kind of fun for me to, like, dive into the things that are real, the things that are not. Finally getting to the author's note where she admits some of the things that aren't real. I felt very reassured, personally. All right. (laughs) Uh, Laura, what are your first thoughts? Uh, I, I agree on the YA part. There were times that I would just like rolled my eyes like, really? <laughs> Why did you make that decision? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I admit I've lived in Sacramento almost my entire life and there were things about it that I didn't, I really didn't understand. I didn't know about some of like the landmarks and I did like, like Googling, um, but it was still really fun for me to be able to like know, oh, I know that street. Um but it was uh I guess I, I didn't I didn't quite remember what the book was about when I started reading it. So I also didn't really know what to expect. I just knew that they were twins and it had something to do with seances and I was hoping, I would say I was hoping for a little bit more of the fantasy magical stuff. Um, I mean, it's definitely there. It's just I was, I thought I was going to get more of it, but it was definitely more leaning towards the YA uh, character development or character interactions. Um, But I'd say overall, I still enjoyed it. Jason? Um... The YA element of the book didn't bother me at all. Um, oh. Maybe it's because I knew it was YA going into it, and so I just <laughs> dropped my expectations a little bit. Uh, it was right in line with what I expected a YA book to be. Um, so when I go to concerts, this is a weird aside, when I go to concerts <laughs> and the artist is always like, what's up, Sacramento? And everybody cheers. I'm like, that's such low-hanging fruit. Like, you mentioned our town. Everybody's like, woo, they referenced us. I was that person and they're in this book. They're like, J Street. I'm like, hell yeah, J Street. I like that street. I know that street. Cool. State Capitol, the, the park. Heck yeah, I recognize that. Yep. And I was like, God, this book is getting me just for mentioning things I'm familiar with. So it's already going to be like at least a plus quarter star rating, no matter how bad it was or how good it was. Um, that said, I actually quite enjoyed this book. I thought it was pretty engrossing. Um, I liked the the... I guess the main characters are the twins, and I like their relationship. Um, of course, you got to have your romance in there. It's not a YA book without a little bit of romance, you know. True. And uh, the romance worked for me just fine. Uh, you know, nothing 
mind blowing, but it it was a YA it's romance. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I thought, Erin, uh, you mentioned the author's note at the end. I thought that the weaving of what was real and what was fake was done decently well. Um, not perfectly. There were some things that were mentioned in the book. I was like, I have to quickly look this up. It's like, that's not true. That's fake. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's because we are familiar with Sacramento. Is someone who isn't familiar, familiar with Sacramento reading this, are they going to question those things? Perhaps not. So overall, I, I did enjoy it. Nice. Any other notes before we go into spoilers? Or are we ready just to dive in? Let's just do spoilers. Hey, book lovers, Natalie here from the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer dragons or aliens, your cocktail shaken or stirred, co-host Robin Dabney and I have you covered. Past guests have included authors like New York Times bestsellers Hugh Howey and Dorinda Jones, and the nerds are excited to open our fifth season with best-selling authors Tracy Wolf and Nina Croft, co-authors of the upcoming high-concept sci-fi romance book, Starbringer. Join the conversation where two tipsy nerds and one great story. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, spoilers. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to go into spoilers. So if you want to read this book for yourself, now's your chance to back out. If you want to continue listening, by all means... Glad I have you, but uh, we are going to spoil stuff. Um, now, if you're still here, uh, the book is about two twins who, and, and this is where it lost me a little bit. What's the main plot of the book? Was it them trying to get money to be independent? Like, was that the main impetus of the book? Because I felt like that was such a, like, like um, it was confusing. They were chasing yes. down this Mary Sutton client from right. the beginning. Right. And then they finally got her. And of course, things go awry. It uh-huh. wasn't what it seemed. So I think it was kind of just getting to a better life after being runaways was the plot. Right. Do you guys agree? That sounds about right. Yeah. But it's, I felt like that was such a weird like starting point because that's not really. This was, it was her first novel. And that's I felt fair. like that was obvious while we were like, while I was reading it. It was like, wow, this is giving first novel. That's fair. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned this is a debut. So that's that's valid point as well. Okay, so Sacramento. How do we think Sacramento was represented in this book? Do we think it was accurate? Do we think uh, some liberties were taken with uh, perhaps geographical proximities of streets to landmarks? <laughs> that's what I had questions about because obviously, I mean – this this took place in 1885. So, yeah. like, I don't really know what Sacramento was like then. Um, I do know some, like, basic things. Like, the book mentioned how they had to build a, another sidewalk, a higher mm-hmm. sidewalk, which is there in Old Sac. But, like, there were times when they talked, she talked about walking to certain places and that she was somewhere. And I was, like, trying to picture in my head what her walking path would have been. And it sometimes didn't make sense to me. Like, at one point, she mentioned G Street. And I was like, G Street isn't anywhere near this other location that Uh she just mentioned. And I was like, (laughs) wait, where is she? (laughs) That, um, yeah, that, that was the main one that stood out to me. And I, and I saved the, the, the snippet here because I, I want to read it. So get people <laughs> I highlighted sense. it too. Yeah, 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 okay. 
So she says, <laughs> it was a 15-minute walk to the state capitol building. Once there, she dutifully gazed at the white-domed building, sat on a bench under one of the shady, fragrant magnolia trees of the brand-new park recently planted around California's seat of government. A seat of government that, if more radical papers were to be believed, was largely bought and paid for by filthy rich industrialists. And then she stopped lying to herself, gotten up, and set off down G Street. So that makes it sound like G Street is connected to the Capitol. It's not like she walked towards G Street. She went down G Street. And no, you're like a good, what, three, four blocks away? It was the locations for me. Like, when she kept talking about the Sacramento Asylum, which she notes never existed. That's what I was wondering about. I was like, it was driving me insane while I was reading it. I was like, this doesn't exist. (laughs) I know some people love you know, historical fiction. But that is so not my lane when I'm too close to it. And I felt like here I was too close to it. Like it was just driving me up the wall and it was making me go down research rabbit holes. But I felt so vindicated in the end when she was like, this never (laughs) existed. Because there's so many stories about people who, you know, murdered their lovers and were sent off to the Stockton Insane Asylum because it's the closest one to where we're at. So as far as I knew... There was never any official asylum here. Wow, okay. See, I didn't know that the Stockton was the closest one. Um, yeah, anytime she mentioned any like sp- specific theater or building or location, I immediately went to Google to see if like that was really yeah. really in existence or yeah. not. Uh, the asylum was one reference. She mentioned the Metropolitan Theater on J Street. I don't know if that actually existed or not. Um, at some point, she... she uh, made a specific reference to a clairvoyant who lived on 625 F Street. So I immediately went, 625 F Street, what's there now? Which is nothing. So maybe a building was there, but it's nothing now. <laughs> I, I wish I was able to remove myself from the Sacramento part and just enjoy the story yeah. for what it was. And that's entirely my doing. I could have. I could have just taken it as like, this is all fake. It's in Sacramento, but it's all fake. And just enjoy it. But I'm not that kind of reader. I'm going to start questioning everything that you say. I couldn't do it either. And you know what made it worse? When I went into the museum for to give a tour and the guy at the front desk goes, oh, oh my God, what are you reading? I've seen that book before. And he told me that the woman who wrote this, Amanda Glaze, apparently she's from Northern California. She came to like visit family and she took a tour of the underground. And our tour guide manager or former tour guide manager Uh, Well, apparently he gave such a compelling tour that it inspired a lot of this book. Like she used a lot of the information she got from this book. And she was so convinced by his character, who is a Scottish man, that she didn't realize that he was not in fact a Scottish man. And so he had, she had him sign as his character, Thomas Leggett. That is not his name. She also believed he was Scottish this whole time. And he like helped inspire the book. And that kind of filled me with childish glee. <laughs> wow. Wait, 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 wait okay. <laughs> so everything, everything that she thinks she learned from Sacramento is based on a fictional character of a, of a Scottish no. man who doesn't exist? He's, he's a I real mean, person who existed, but he died 200 years ago. Oh, and gotcha. And okay. this tour guide who she believed him to be. <laughs> Like, she just thought, this tour guide's name is Thomas Leggett, and he's Scottish, but he's really American, and his name is Sean. 
So she didn't know that he was playing a character. No, not at all. That is so funny. (laughs) To be fair, he has the best accent out of all of the tour guides. So I understand. I would hope so. The fact that she came back and said, will you sign my book? You inspired me. It's just so, so pure. (laughs) I'm imagining a situation where she came back and she's like, hey, uh, is Thomas Leggett around? I want to talk to him. He's like... Our conversation was so good, and everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" It's like Thomas Leggett. Like I met him last time I was here. He's like he's been dead for X number of years. Are you okay? She's been talking oh. to a ghost the whole yeah. time. Yes, <laughs> man. Do we need to this take you to the insane. Sacramento Asylum that does not exist? <laughs> yeah. Guess it's time to go to Stockton, folks. No, they immediately knew. They were like, oh, you're looking for Sean. I think they broke her heart, but I don't know the details. That's that's rough. (laughs) I know. Wow, okay. Okay, the fantasy. I want to talk about the fantasy. Because I would put this more in the vein of, like, magical realism. I mean, the book goes out of its way to really showcase that there is a veil. There is some sort of, like, in between. These sisters do have abilities. But this is the skeptic in me that's based on the author's ancestors i don't know if i necessarily believe in true mediums mediums for me are like the magical realism kind of gray areas like maybe they are real i don't know but what are, what are your both your, your reactions to just like the fantasy element the magical realism element uh you know i i guess i don't can you explain magical realism a little bit more yeah i could try um so i think <laughs> magical realism as far as I am aware, is is basically real life, but there's like a little bit of, uh, is there something else? So it's not like so concrete that dragons are real, there are fairies. It's more of like a story is told where a person went off into magical land and at the very end you realize that like they were sleeping. So there's that question mark of, did they really go to these fantasy lands? Or is it all just a dream? There's just enough of a question mark to make you doubt the fantastical okay. element. Okay. Aaron, do you, do you agree with that? Do you have a better explanation? I think that's good. I think I just couldn't stop thinking about the TV show Long Island Medium, <laughs> personally. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I think I, I get it already. <laughs> I really think you should Google it later. (laughs) It really was just like, in the beginning, I'm like, okay, so they're all con artists. Yeah. And for the most part, I believe that they are and were, you know, Uh, until I'm proven wrong, of course, that, you know, my opinion could change. But I thought it was really fun how they kind of played with we are con artists but we're also legit (laughs) right that was weird yeah so i guess i have mixed feelings about it but do i think mediums can truly reach into the beyond no not particularly yeah i feel like the author was trying uh to uh you know acknowledge that Perhaps a lot of these mediums, these spiritualists, were all con men and con women and con artists. Um, 
but also she wanted to actually add it as a as a fact. And there was like she couldn't really reconcile the two. Yeah, it kind of felt like she was trying to legitimize her ancestors' profession, even yeah. though I'm sure they wouldn't care. Hmm. They knew who they were. Yeah, yeah. I would just, just respect the hustle, right? If that's what they were, if they were con artists, hell yeah, good for them. Well, it's also like in 1885, women did all sorts of jobs, you know? Right. And it was still like, like, yeah, Sacramento was progressive in the sense you could buy, own, sell property and divorce, but you couldn't vote about all that property that you owned. You couldn't like make decisions about the future of your life. You're still expected to do domestic stuff. So women who owned businesses owned you know, saloons, whorehouses, or they ran the gambit with, you know, the circus. It was like still very limited. I thought it was really upsetting that they kept pushing this character, Mary Sutton, as a surgeon, because there is no way that a woman would have been a doctor. Or I'm sorry, she wasn't a surgeon. There's no way a woman would have been a doctor at this time. It just wasn't happening. I, I was genuinely surprised that this book was as strongly feminist as it was. Uh, I was surprised too. You know, and, and, and I mean, I knew, I knew nothing about spiritualists. I knew nothing about this era. I, I really have not researched at all, like, what women were able and not able to. I mean, I know they weren't able to do much, but, like, I, I didn't really know anything about, yeah. what was the term, trans, trans readers or... Um, lectures. Yeah, trans lectures, like... That was a thing I had quickly Googled. Is, is that a real thing or is not? And apparently it was a real thing. I was like, that was amazing. Like, that blew my mind. Um, but I just wasn't expecting all that um, from, as we mentioned, a YA book. That I thought was going to be very much of just, like, these two twin mediums and wanting to bring back their mom or something and then falling in love and the end. Um, so I was actually really pleasantly surprised about that. Um, so I will say that I feel like this book punches up from its YA grading. Yeah. yeah, and then the romance with laws makes it punch down again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Laura, somebody can say something. Um, no, I was just going to say, I, I've, I've listened to other podcasts that kind of went into spiritualism and, and the history behind it and some of the more famous names. It's been a while, so I didn't remember. I can't remember a lot of details, but reading this book... Um, it just kind of was cool seeing a little bit of the callbacks to things that I could remember. And I, I do know that spiritualism was, was definitely one thing that women were able to do and make money off of and, and stuff like that. And so I just thought it was a cool way to bring more of the, the history into this book is, is addressing some of that more feministic the more feministic aspect um, of the spiritualist, I don't know, movement. I'm not sure what the term was, but I just thought that was cool. But I did ca catch me by surprise. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you could say it was a movement. I think it kind of took a lot of people by storm, especially the super religious. Yeah. I also, I just, I love that they that she briefly mentioned Lincoln. Because he was a spiritualist, and not very many people know that. <laughs> Aaron, you mentioned laws a bit ago, so let's talk about the romance. We can't we can't avoid it. 
Yeah. I wish I could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Was there any elements part, of that relationship that you enjoyed or, or no? This part of the plot felt the weakest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were <laughs> there were so many points when I thought, can we either just commit to this character more or like kill him off? You know, mm-hmm. what is his purpose? And then when he kind of gets dragged into the end, it's like a like a savior thing. Mm-hmm. It just it gave me the ick. I hated this Law's character trying to tell her that her profession was invalid because he was like, oh, be a journalist like me. Be respectable. And it's like, dude, you need to stay in your lane. You don't have to like what she's doing, but you certainly don't have to tell her how to live her life. If you really thought it was that much of a problem, you wouldn't be flirting with her and you would have turned her into the police a long time ago. So I think we need to cut that out. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) I agree, but I'm also remembering, you know, this is taking place in the 1800s. So I feel like maybe he was a little more progressive, but he still, you know, had this misogynistic mentality. Um, I'm not saying he was a great character. I'm just saying some of the, the conversations they had, like, like, you should be a journalist, like, it just it comes from a a, a man of privilege that doesn't yeah. understand mm-hmm. how the system works, and he's young. I think it said that he's nineteen. Yeah, it was something like that. So like he doesn't really know, and so I thought I I didn't mind that conversation so much because he's just he's saying what he thinks, which in a way was a compliment to her, but also she's like, that's not how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she had to explain it to him, which I feel like is kind of how it is today. <laughs> yep, <laughs> some things never change. No, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will say I thought it was interesting though that the the book is is very much again feminist, and it it leans into how women kind of implies women don't always need a man they can live on their own they they need they need to have you know they have their own careers that's what what Edie and Violet are doing is trying to have their own career and um they mention things like you know the the inequality between man and woman but then i thought it was interesting that the author still wrote in this romance where she was still relying on this man Yes. Which mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think is wrong. I think there's a there's there's a right way to write it and it felt not that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that yeah. was my biggest issue with that character is that he felt like we needed a man to be able to do the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, this book's already a fantasy. Like, sure, may- maybe a woman would not be able to get into a fake asylum in the 1800s on her own. But figure out a way to make it so that she can. Like, don't just have him conveniently there and he's the one that comes up with a plan. And, and I mean, granted, of course, that's another uh, opportunity to force a trope on us. You know, we got the forced proximity in that moment. That um, all it's in service of the romance. But like, yeah, it, it just seemed like he was there because we needed a man to do the things. It's like, well, I don't want that in this case. I want 
the I want twins. her to figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. Go be Nancy cool. Drew. Go go pick the damn log. Go climb. Do, go go get dirty. Go figure it out on your own. <laughs> yeah, I felt like this was supposed to be a beautiful story about sisterhood, and it became a beautiful story about a romance with a side of sisterhood. <laughs> I didn't like that. It's like it kind of feels like you're straying from your messaging. And in mentioning sisterhood, it didn't even really feel like sisterhood, honestly. Because mm-hmm. they weren't working together in this book until the very end. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed in that because I thought it was going to be the sisters working together on this problem. But really, it was uh, Edie just constantly lying to Violet. Yeah, and being like, but you have to forgive me because we're sisters. And it's like... No. <laughs> uh, you lied about some big things, Edie. Yeah, I, I was surprised that the sisters didn't work together as much as I expected them to. You know, this was really, I feel like, Edie's book. Yeah. Violet was just like yeah. It only followed character. Edie. Yeah. And, um, and then it makes sense at the very end when you find out that Edie was the author's great-grandmother. And it's like, oh, so you just wrote about your mm. great-grandmother and didn't really include her sister as much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Okay. <laughs> Nah, well. like, yeah, it would have been great to see them both working together or like, you know, splitting up and, you know, like Violet would want to be an actress. It would have been great to see her work in that angle, going to the theater, getting in, like getting information from that world and and, and seeing them come together. To, in it. But she could have used her acting skills to get into the Sacramento Asylum. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought they were going to pull a Chewy. I thought that's what the plan was going to be when he was like, I got a plan. I thought it was going to be Edie. I need you to pre- pretend like you're insane. And I'm, I'm, I'm admitting you. And that's how we're getting into the asylum. And then, you know, we'll do what we need to do, um, which I, I would have preferred, honestly. But Another fanfic. Add it to the list of fanfics you got to write. <laughs> Aaron, how, uh, how much of a subscriber to tropes are you? Like, are there certain tropes that, like, you're like, yes, hell yes, this is my thing, or you you ch- tend to avoid tropes? I feel like I can enjoy any trope that is well done, but because, like I said, this felt like such a debut novel because she was trying to do it all, and in the process, she ended up doing a lot of things, maybe not as well as she could have. Okay. I think some tropes that I personally enjoy are, you know, difficult mother-daughter relationship heels. I think that is always so fun to watch, like, play out. And it usually ends very sweetly. I think another good trope, if you must have romance, is friends to lovers. Because the whole enemies to lovers thing just fills me with rage. You should never hate someone that you are going to end up loving. That's a great basis uh, I, for a relationship. <laughs> Again, this, my opinion, everyone can believe what they want, but uh, not a fan of the enemies to lovers thing. I think that's why I had such an issue yeah. with the Law's character. It mm, rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, fe- I feel like I like, I like both enemies and friends to lovers. But I feel like I like enemies to lovers more because I like the fact that they know each other at their worst and they still come to love each other. 
Do they know each other at their worst, or are they projecting the worst onto the other person? We don't need to get into the detail of that stuff. You can't bring it up and then not want to get (laughs) into it. (laughs) So don't argue. I'm comparing. Okay, no questions. Okay. I'm comparing. I like friends to lovers to a certain point because I also just really like really good friendships. And sometimes I feel like friendships are ruined when they become lovers. I feel the opposite. I feel like the anticipation of the friends to lovers trope is way more fun than the enemies to lovers trope because one, it's sweeter. And two, you know that if you can make it as friends and there's like that X factor, it'll probably work out. But with enemies to lovers, when they like figure out that they like each other and then I close the book, I'm like, they're getting divorced in my head, you know? (laughs) That'll never work. I can see that. (laughs) I can see that in some of these. Okay. (laughs) Jason? Um, I think of the two, I prefer friends to lovers. Really, my favorite is rivals to lovers. Okay. Uh, because I feel like that gives us a little bit of like the it's spice like the of enemies middle. to lovers, but it's like, but you, they have the mutual respect. Like they yeah. don't they don't dislike each other. They're just like gunning for the same thing, and I feel like that's more fun to read. Mm. But um, yeah, friends to lovers, I do enjoy because, uh, and I hear what you're saying, Laura. Like I do love when characters, and we've talked about this in the past, of like I, characters can stay platonic and just stay friends, and that's really nice because. I feel like that's not as we don't expected. see that often. Yeah, yeah. But let's say, but let's say we have to go down the lovers route. I like the friends to lovers because, as me, the 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 audience looking in, I like seeing all the little cues there of like them liking each other, but being too dense to really mm. identify it themselves. And I like seeing those switches turn on slowly, and then finally they get there, and that's always fun. Um, but yeah, but with like Aaron, like you said, I don't, I'm not a huge enemies to lovers person. Uh, so I didn't like this relationship in this book. If if you're li- someone's listening to this right now and you love enemies to lovers, you might feel very differently than us. But well, Laura- let me a- let me ask you now though, what makes Laws an enemy? His staunch opposition of her in the like first half of the book, probably where he's just like, "You are my enemy. I'm going to report on this. You're just in my way." He, like, demeans her. He's so rude and kind of just treats her like she's worthless. And then all of a sudden he's like, but I like you now. So trust me. I hate that. She's like, a woman. No. Instant enemy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like, no, his, his story about how uh, a spiritualist basically, like, robbed his mom and caused her, her death, right? So, and she, that's what she is. So she, she has to be an enemy because... You're the bad guy. Well, well, I feel like they're, they, he's, he kind of lies in the middle of maybe rival because really he's trying to prove that mediums aren't real. And so, like, yeah, he was kind of, he was being like that to her, but also there were times when he's actually being respectful in a way and, and not a good, great, very, you know, not a great way in terms of communicating with her. <laughs> but he like <laughs> he sees how her she is intelligent, right? And right. so like we kind of see that when he 
understands she he starts to understand who she might who she is like mentally her her personality. I feel like the way that he sees her changed to where he wasn't really quite enemy. It's just his goal is to prove that mediums don't exist. So they're rival me's? Yes. <laughs> I'll accept it. Yeah, I like that. That still completely undermines her profession. <laughs> Instant enemy. <laughs> um, whatever we call it, I feel like this is dependent on a trope. And, and that's and, and yeah. I feel like a lot of YA is dependent on tropes. And, and that's usually my biggest hiccup with YA. Which sucks because I feel like YA descriptions are really cool. And there's so many YA books. I'm like, man, that sounds like it'd be an amazing story if you just got rid of the love story in there. Um, yeah. And you gave people a little more agency and uh, worked on your writing style. Otherwise, I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> there were so many of, like, so many always, never and forever written into this book, it drove me insane. Like, no, you will not be together forever. You will not love them always. Like, cut it out. Be a person. Talk like a real person. Like, these, the dialogue in this book was so unrealistic. I think that's why it was so YA cringy, because it was just like, who has conversations like these? Teens? I don't know. <laughs> how how old are they supposed to be? Uh, oh, it's a seventeen. I think seventeen, maybe. Um, I wasn't convinced that they were real humans. Yeah, and I, I mean, think that was my biggest issue. That's fair. No, that's fair. I mean, but again, we have the high, I mean, we have the benefit of reading it from twenty twenty three, whereas like these are characters that ex- exist in eighteen hundreds, and I think the idea of you just get married. That's that's what you have in life. That's the expectation. It's like you just find yeah. somebody and you get married and you be a good wife and you go provide as a husband. The end. I, so I, I guess in that sense, it's a little more accurate. But yeah, as us reading it now, it's like mm, leaves a lot to be desired. I had issues with their um, <clears throat> their their secret. I mean, not their secret. Their runaway identities. Um, because they mention at one point that they don't want people to know their real names, but their dad, their father in the end still calls them Edie and Violet. I think it was referring to their last names, but they never clarified what the last name was. Like you could tie it together at least at the end. I feel like they should have ran farther away. (laughs) Because it said, I think it said that her they're from Marysville, which is not far. Uh, okay, but back then that may. But they should that. like they they're recognizable. They are twins with drastically different hair colors. They should not stay in California. <laughs> yeah, you could have gotten on a steamship. They Lazy mentioned much. they went to Chicago. <laughs> like, stay there. That was yeah. also like. Highly unrealistic. It is like yes. you couldn't just take a casual trip to Chicago in 1885. <laughs> like you would be there for a good chunk of time, and possibly die on the way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or back. Yeah. Also, don't stay in the same profession. 
It doesn't matter where you go. If you're going to go to Chicago, don't do what you do because, again, twins that are easily recognizable who are spiritualists, doesn't matter where you are, you're going to be the same twins. Yeah, they were terrible at witness protection. They, not their calling. Hold on, I'm doing a quick Google search. Uh, witness protection was invented in 1970, so... You had issues. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. You. The, I mean, the 1800s is when it was easy to move to a different state and just change your name and profession, and then nobody's going to know who you are. Yeah. People who would just become doctors and not get any medical training. They just went yeah. outside, changed the sign. That's how easy it was to reinvent yourself. But I agree. Like, at least oh. go to a different state. This runaway was really pathetic. <laughs> Even San Francisco is is too close. <laughs> it's too accessible. People went from Sacramento to San Francisco all the time. Go to Tracy. No one's going to look for you in Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> People in Tracy are crying now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of our listeners in Tracy. First of all, thanks for listening. But, uh, <laughs> so sorry. You know. You know. For you. Come on. <laughs> Uh, um haven't really talked about our villain and this whole shadow thing oh you right they go on and on about oh yeah fair um so who's the villain mary mary sutton yeah mary sutton and then surprisingly their father who was possessed. oh what a twist i did not see the dad coming back <laughs> um yeah as much as i enjoyed I, I did enjoy the story overall but it was very uh predictable there were a couple surprises but all in all like everything you thought would happen happened um including the mary sutton reveal that she was the bad guy the dad coming back um the thallium how the herbs are used thinking yeah yeah i thought i thought the 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 rules for which herbs did what um was very i thought i thought it was creative is it was funny that they were so specific about what they did i felt like they were like uno cards because one of them was really like <laughs> was literally a reverse card doesn't matter what you have it just reverses what it does um, this is where i this is why i wanted more of the magical fantasy stuff because i feel like there's a lot more to learn about the veil Mm -hmm. And you know, there's only so many times that they've that she's gone into it in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, we got to learn a little bit about the shadow. It's like the sh if the sh if the person leaves the veil and goes back to the living world and leaves the shadow behind, right? Mm -hmm. The shadow is like the worst thing that can exist. But it didn't really feel like the bad guy. Like we no, knew it was it bad, like you know, but it wasn't like really conveyed because they were just she was she was trying to do her investigation in the living world and didn't have too many actual um interactions with this shadow until the end, and then that ended up being they got saved by a man, <laughs> yep, yeah, the fight scenes were really underwhelming. Also, she was, go ahead, go ahead. 
she was kind of just like, and then I held the shadow there. Like, what? And then her dad shows up, and this man they're painting as being a super religious guy the whole book ends up just passively accepting that everything he believed was wrong. That would never happen. He would be looking around like, I am in purgatory. He's a minister. But instead, he's like, oh, yes, daughter, teach me about all of the things I was wrong about, even though I was so religious that I threatened to send you to an insane asylum because I couldn't grasp the thought of my ideas being wrong. That gave me a shoe. <laughs> As it should. I wanted the girls to live, but also the book is called The Second Death of Edie and Violet Bond. And they said multiple times in the book, the second death is your final death. So I expected them to die. I get it. Where's the tie-in? <laughs> yeah, I was I was trying to think about that. I was thinking about the title and how like what exactly is it alluding to? Like, is there a se- is there a second death that's more figurative? Right? Um, would the first death have been when their mom died and they changed their identities and ran away? And is a second death now that that story has wrapped up and now they get to start their, their third lives, their final lives? Is that what the second death is? The pessimist in me thinks that Glaze's publishing company just kind of skimmed this book and then forced this title upon her because it makes absolutely no sense to me. Where is the dying? You're saying they glazed over it? <laughs> One might say they glazed. <laughs> I mean, I know sometimes the yeah, publishers are the ones that come in and force title changes and stuff. So maybe, maybe the author had a better title that actually made sense. I feel, I feel like we're getting back into our our habit with this episode of I liked it, but here's all the things that I didn't like, but also it was still enjoyable. Yeah, we'd have a bad habit of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Easy to be a critic. <laughs> I just want to say I did I did enjoy reading this book. Like I I I just wish that I had more of the sisters working together. Yeah. That's what I wanted to see. Yeah. Um agreed. But yeah, that that and a little bit more of the magical stuff I yeah. would have liked to see. I did think it was really easy to read. Um I, uh, it did have some surprises. Like I said, I mentioned there's some predictable stuff, but it had some surprises that generally kind of got me. I enjoyed that. For the most part, I enjoyed the characters. I did like the relationship, the relationship between the sisters. Um, I wish there just been more of that. Um, I thought the, the villain reveal was a little two dimensional for me, but it worked. Um, and as far as YA writing, so I felt like it was a solid YA book. Um, I think if you like the genre and you like, the things that make this book what it is, you probably would really enjoy this book. So if you like the the, the rival me still lovers, if you like um, <laughs> you know historical fantasy, uh, if you like paranormal, uh, and especially with it's, it's September now, I felt like this was a great vibes book. Like this this yeah. gave me the vibes I wanted for right now. Like not full horror, but definitely kind of creepy and spooky and and otherworldly and so i thought it did everything that it set out to do all right was it amazing was it mind-blowing no but i think it is a solid 
uh, debut books, especially as a debut book, I think it was a solid entry. So there you go. I'll end it with some positive stuff. <laughs> I, I will say for all of my slashing, I do think this book taught me some things, which I did enjoy. I just, I think I just wanted more focus. And I think I also teed up for it poorly because what I was reading before this is a classic. So I moved from a classic to a YA and then I was analyzing the writing being a total snob because I had a horrible tee up. (laughs) But I do think that this would be a really fun read for anyone who lives in Sacramento and wants to learn a little bit more about the area or women's rights in the area, Mm. stuff like that. Yeah, it's a good point. And I was also thinking, I think this would make a decent like miniseries. Like there was a cut, like, mm. the writing I felt like was very cinematic. Like there was like a, an actual jump cut in the book. I remember she said one of the, maybe Edie's like, I'm never going to, and you immediately cut to her doing the thing, which is like very much a visual I, gag. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. so if you translated this into a miniseries and flesh out a little bit more of the stuff, you can flesh out the love story, make that stronger. You can flesh out some of the villains. Uh, I do think this would be a good adaptation. So I'll say that as well. That would be pretty fun to see old Sacramento kind of stuff. All right. um, I mentioned this earlier, but again, I just want to point out if you didn't read this book uh, um, or if you did read this book, but one of those people who doesn't read the author's notes, uh, this book was inspired by the author's great grandmother, Edie, and her twin sister, Violet. The author discovered that both Edie and Violet were avid spiritualists who regularly conducted seances. So I think it's really cool that these Women did exist. They were spiritualists. Aaron and I have stated that we don't necessarily believe in that, but they did it. They were out there doing the thing, uh, respecting for that. And I think that's really cool that this author is able to find someone in their history to create a book out of. Um, and so it's awesome. And she included the photo, the photo that yeah. she first saw mm-hmm. of of Edie and Violet in in her author's note. That was really cool to see. Yeah. Which is properly spooky just because it's old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know how long they had to sit for it. You're like, uh, oh, they yeah. were so brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this book is currently rated 3.88 out of over 998 ratings. So almost 1,000 ratings, not a whole lot. And it's an average rating. Uh, Laura, what would you rate this book? Uh, I would I would give it a three and a half. Um Again, I enjoyed it. There were a lot of things that I think could have been better. Um, but it was, it was again, it was her first novel. Uh, I, I enjoyed the Sacramento mentions. So, um, yeah, I'd say three and a half. So that's that's about in line with, with the average. All right. Erin, what about you? I think it was a solid three for the YA category. I feel like. I've seen better in the YA category at convincing me of teen love. So that is part of why I'm docking it. I'm also docking it because I did want to see some plot lines fleshed out a little more. But overall, it was fun to read and generally interesting. All right. I would give it probably like a 3.75. Okay. Um, I tend to be forgiving Technical. of things. Yeah, no. I, I, not quite a four. I can't give it a four. 
but three and a half even feels a little too low for me. Um, I tend to be forgiving of like YA books sometimes, uh, which isn't necessarily should be the case, but it is. Um, and, and mostly because of the vibes. Like if you got rid of the fact that I'm reading this in September, I probably would read it lower. But I think this was a good time to read it just as we're going into <laughs> darker weather. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the time of year, my favorite time of year. So yeah, 3.75. Okay, fair. All right. What is some of the shit we're reading next? Uh, Aaron, you had mentioned, I think you said Wayward and Halloween Party next for you, right? Yep. That's what's in the cards. Um, probably going to read Halloween Party first. I think I need a break from the uh, witchy theme, but don't worry. I'll be diving right back in <laughs> in like a week. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, what's next for you? Uh, I, I don't do, I don't really do the themed reads, um, very often. So, uh, I'm actually going to read Chasm by Stacey McEwen next. Um, thank you to Angry Robot. They provided us, um, with an arc. I, as, as of recording this, the book is already released. (laughs) So everybody go pick up, um, the first book, Ledge, and then also Chasm. Ledge was actually really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm very excited to read Chasm. Um, and just for anybody who is on Instagram or TikTok often, you might recognize Stacey McEwen. She's very well known in the in the book talk and bookstagram community. Um, she's very funny. So um, yeah, so she released uh, these these two books. I don't know if there's a third. Uh, I'll find out. <laughs> so excited for the sequel. I think there will be a third. I think I think I've heard her say trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Good for her. I'm excited for her. <laughs> After I finish Halloween Party, I'm going to be reading uh, Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Uh, Halloween Parties by Agatha Christie. Uh, and uh, Magpie Murders is very much, I guess, trying to be Agatha Christie. Uh, Aaron, I know you read it. You kind of talked to me about it. Um, and so I felt like it'd be nice to kind of c- combine the two. Um, the book weaves a classic whodunit worthy of Agatha Christie into a chilling, ingeniously original modern-day mystery. So we'll see. I've read other stuff by the same author. He He's written a couple sanctioned sequels to uh, Sherlock Holmes, I think, mm. which I have read and I enjoyed, uh, including one that followed Moriarty, not Sherlock. I think it's called Moriarty. And he's also written, I think, a few sanctioned uh, sequels to James Bond as well, which I haven't read. I haven't read any James hmm. Bond. But so, I mean, the Brits like him. I don't know if he is British, but <laughs> anyhow. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how I like it. Aaron, I don't think you liked it too much. Well, but we'll see. I'm a snob. <laughs> I'm such a snob. And because I read the preface and it said, this is. So, Agatha Christie, I could not stop thinking about how derivative it was the entire time I was reading it. It just kind of killed it for me. But other people might like that. I was just, I was focusing on it too much because it said that in the beginning. All right. Well, where you're a snob, I am a whore and I like books. So, I'll probably like that's fine. <laughs> Teach their own, right? <laughs> All right, before we close up, uh, I do want to say that our next episode for next month, which is going to be October, so of course we're going to do a Halloween spooky book, is She is a Haunting by Trang Tan Tran, which is a chilling, evocative, and atmospheric debut horror novel 
about a Vietnamese-American girl visiting her strange father in Vietnam and the house that doesn't want them to leave. Ooh. Uh, Laura, you're the one that kind of brought this to her attention. Uh, sounded fun. Sounded right up rally. Super spooky vibes. And so hopefully the cover, it's good. The cover is what got me first. Yeah. Kind of getting body horror vibes from it. That's always unsettling. Yeah. All right, Aaron, before we wrap up, would you like to tell people where they can follow the Sack History Museum, uh, a little bit more about what they do, and maybe some upcoming events they have going on? Yeah. Um, if you want to know what's going on with the Sacramento History Museum, you can check them out at Sack History Museum on pretty much every platform. Their TikTok is huge because of Howard in the print shop, so he's fun to watch if you're into that sort of thing. And I really encourage you to check out our underground tours especially our after hours underground tours, which is a little bit more of the seedier side of Sacramento, where you can learn about the gambling, the prostitution, the general deviancy of early Sacramento that was not really happening on the East coast. So Mm -hmm. if you're into those things, you can find me there. I'm probably going to be your tour guide. (laughs) (laughs) And if you do want to know about what I'm reading, I'm on Goodreads. Um, I'm sure maybe we can link that or something. Yeah, we'll but it. since it's kind of hard to do usernames with Goodreads because it's a useless app, but yeah. I'm on there and that, that's about it for me. Nice. Uh, Laura, I think we need to do one of the after hours. I agree. I highly encourage you to check that one out if you I'm like down. caring about the saucier side of the city. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, Seriously, anybody listening, if you're ever in the Sacramento area, I highly encourage you to check out the Sacramento History Museum. I promise I'm not saying that just because Aaron's here. Um, (laughs) I've done their underground tour once years ago and actually just did the paranormal investigation that they offer sometimes. Uh, I did that a couple weeks ago, which coincidentally had Aaron as one of the uh, tour guides. And I didn't didn't even know she was going to be there. Uh, But that was a lot of fun. Um, So, yeah, they offer some other things like Aaron mentioned. So check it out if you get a chance. And if you've read this book and want to share your thoughts with us, um, or if you've seen a ghost in Sacramento, want to tell us where we can find it uh, so we can have our own ghost sighting. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, threads. Sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. It's not Twitter anymore. It's X, whatever. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, you can find us at shit we've read pretty much wherever. So that's it for this episode. Aaron, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Aaron. I'm super excited to have had you on. Of course. I'm so happy we did this. This was fun. Uh, You made me, you know, expand my palate. So I think it was good for me. (laughs) You're welcome. And I think I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. It's okay. (laughs) Laura, always great chatting with you. You also. All right. And to everybody else listening, thanks for tuning in. Um, Have a happy spooky season and we'll see you next time. Bye. Shit We've Read is hosted by Laura Benson, Jason Rico, and Bella Romero, with music by Joshua Chilton and editing by Jason Rico. To join the discussion on this and all other books we've read, find us at Shit We've Read on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. For more information about us or to request transcripts, please visit shitweavered.com. This podcast is part of the Bilo Network. Visit bilonetwork.com for more great geeky podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Ooh.